Welcome to the Continuous Transformation Podcast, where spirit and science meet and creatively merge to give birth to the future. Disclaimer, high risk of life-transforming perspectives. And remember that this is the best time to begin your continuous transformation process. Your host is Advaitananda, a visionary, influencer and scientist with a quantum physics background and more than 30 years experience of yoga, tantra and meditation practice and teaching. Widely used today and the bread and butter of creating overnight gurus in human development, the carrot and stick schemes are said to be today's key to achievements and success. Taking a step out of the hamster wheel, Greg Garrett joins Advaitananda to discover the hidden costs of motivational schemes. Is it truly empowering or is it leading us into an even bigger prison? We are told if you finish your homework, you can go out playing. If you finish your food, you get cake. Motivations can have severe destructive side effects when we do not understand them. What's the best way then of educating people in order to move themselves off the carrot and the stick, the pain and the pleasure, the motivational schemes? It's a gradual process of understanding, first of all, the problem, seeing, feeling the difference difference between willpower, for instance, and a motivational scheme that simulates willpower. Without this awareness, it's very hard to replace them because you rely on them. We carry our best interests in ourselves. We don't need to have somebody outside of us who is thinking or feeling our best interests. Aspiration to better yourself, how is that born inside of you? It's already there. Make a little bit of peace, silence, stay in a tranquil place, and then you will see emerging from inside all these uh, inborn aspirations. We motivate people when we cannot explain to people. When we cannot show to people, we try to motivate them. But the superior stage of learning is not programming people, is deprogramming people by showing them how it works. This is how it works. These are exercises that can validate your understanding. Now try it. Hi. I'm Advaita Nanda and I bring to your attention today one of the most used schemes in our current mentality, the motivational schemes and the so-called carrot and stick. I wouldn't talk about this uh, today because it's a lot of material out there. There are a lot of trainings for building up your motivation and the topic is very hot, I would say, today. But the experiences I've made showed that uh, motivations can have severe destructive side effects when we do not understand them and we use them indiscriminately to some extent even to get us addicted to their effects. So for this reason, I picked up this uh, topic, which was actually suggested um, by my guest today, and we will unfold it with some uh, very interesting ideas, uh, I am sure. Today it is generally considered that um, a well-built motivation can transform for good our life and even our destiny, turning, as we say, a loser into a winner. And it seems that uh, the results are validating these claims. There are lots of people today who say that uh, they have been uh, 
shifting their motivational setting and their life transformed entirely. But as you will see, there are some side effects and there are some hidden costs for this shift. The motivational schemes have the undeniable merit, on the other hand, and I, I have to give it to this uh, way of thinking, that uh, it brings back the attention to ourselves. Practically, the motivational scheme, the way it's built today, promise a way out from the fatalism of a destiny that depends apparently on the others, depends on the outer world, and it seems that uh, we are bringing back the controls through this motivational scheme. Of course, the question is, is it uh, truly like this? Does the motivational system truly delivers the freedom that it promised? Or it is just a larger prison, as I will uh, explain from uh, the experiments and the experiences that I did, is a larger prison whose walls we cannot yet acknowledge as such. Our first touch with the motivational schemes happen when we are kids. And uh, we all have this kind of episode in our life when we're told, if you finish your food, you get cake. Or if you behave, mommy or daddy loves you more. Or we are told, if you finish your homework, you can go out playing. This happens everyone to every one of us it happened in millions and millions of homes at some point at some stage of the development of every human being therefore it is deeply embedded in our consciousness today and even in our culture it seems that we are empowered by this scheme because it is up to you now to decide if you want cake because it was, it is not said, I don't want to give you cake. It is said, I give you cake if you do this. You decide if you want more love. Because it is said, if you behave in this and that way, I love you more. You are the one deciding if you want to go out and play. Because it is not said you cannot go out. It is said you can go out if you do your homework. So practically, it is given this uh, illusion that we get the control of the events and of the outcome, just with some minor conditions. But the illusion to get control of your options is so big that we can very easily, too easily, accept the conditions without checking them. This is the reason why we tend to accept such schemes, since we are children, because of our innate thirst for freedom and self-determination. And it seems like in a situation where we depend on the others, they give through this motivational scheme part of the control back to us. The one who controls uh, our cake is giving back the control to me, saying, if you want cake, you do this. The one who controls my freedom to go out and play gives partially the control back to me, saying, if you want to go out, sure, 
just finish your homework. Now, once inserted deep in our being, the motivational scheme be become the, let's call it the Trojan horse, or what in uh, IT today is used, the backdoor into our system. And this uh, backdoor or this Trojan horse is used by the society to control us afterwards. And um, of course, they say it is for our own good, but it functions exactly as the Trojan horse or a backdoor into our system because we are used with it since we are toddlers. This carrot and stick scheme, motivational scheme, it is said to be based on the vision of the philosopher Jeremy Bentham. It was derived from the old stories, the story illustrating uh, the practical way to move forward the donkey. This scheme uh, is um, far older than this. It is said that it appeared, it was coined in the 18th century, but it is far older than this, founded, embedded in the home education for many, many generations. Today, the carrot and stick motivational methods are used to shape our lives and our society. Everywhere we hear today the sentences like, if you are a good citizen, you do that. But if you don't do it, bad things will happen. And you can replace bad things with disease, pandemics, war, famine, terrorism, whatever you want. Of course, here you can see Carrot is being a good citizen, having validation from the society, being recognized. And the stick is social stigma, fear, losses, disasters. So even though we hear this, we don't realize that constantly we're repeated. The carrot and stick scheme constantly were reminded of our childhood conditioning. Of course, when we put it like this, it seems silly. It seems too simple. And unfortunately, I've met a lot of people who, when they hear these things, they say, yeah, I got it. I can see what you mean, but it doesn't work on me. Actually, because it is embedded in our education since we are so small, it works very fast on all of us. And it is built in in our consciousness at almost the very root of it. Not exactly at the root, but quite deep inside of us. So therefore, it's not something to take lightly. On the other hand, if you look uh, around, we can say that all the marketing, all the politics, the social engineering itself that we see today all over the planet, all are based on this simple scheme. None of these schemes, none of these uh, domains like politics, marketing, social engineers, engineering would work at all if this scheme would not be embedded in people. If we would be somehow immune, if we would remove the habit of working with motivational schemes, none of these aspects of the society would work on us. Moreover, the entire leadership and leadership training today is based on motivation and self-motivation. It is worldwide a business worth 
$370 billion annually. This was the statistic from 2019. In US alone, corporate training programs that are motivational based entirely jumped from $55 billion in 2012 to $83 billion in 2020. So it's a booming industry. Everyone exploits these uh, golden eggs of this wild goose, I would say, avoiding, however, to have a critical view or thinking on it and its effects. Because, of course, they are the golden eggs. Why would you criticize the producer? The fast emerging domain of personal development is a market that um, is somehow another client to this carrot and stick old scheme. In 2019 it alone, it had reached 39 billions worldwide. There are even different theories supporting the production of a motivational scheme, very complex theories, and some people transform it into an art. And it would be good if it wouldn't have some very powerful side effects, which from my experiences, side effects which are canceling almost completely the benefits. Numberless studies today point out the lack of recognition or motivation as a cause of the lack of work efficiency in different workplaces. And therefore, of course, it results the need for better motivational schemes. All of these look only from one side, ignoring the possible negative side effects of our motivational scheme behavior. So deeply is this scheme embedded in our life today so many are its implications that a lucid analysis of its flows seems a difficult task. But I have to say difficult never stopped me. So we will proceed with our analysis now. I invite you today to carry on the flame of inquiry. A dear friend of mine from UK, Greg Garrett. Welcome, Greg, to this podcast. Thank you, Ava, and thank you for such an insightful introduction. Um, you know, I myself was born into motivational schemes. Um, I experienced them in the family, in the church, and then went on to experience them in business. Um, and then I've noticed that there's so many people now like me who are tired, fatigued, worn out, and it's as though we, for myself certainly, and for them, we've just been caught on this hamster wheel <laughs> where there's no exit, there's no way off. And, you know, too much is not enough seems to be the mantra. Yeah. And yet everyone's been hypnotized into this view. And the harder we, or the harder I was running, the just the more fatigued and worn out I was getting. And, and I'm seeing this in more and more people who are now reaching out to me because they're beginning to see changes in me. And they're saying, okay, how's this possible? 
and that, that we can make the change, that we can get off the hamster wheel and that we can begin to recognize who we are again, because I, I lost sight of who I was and I see so many people in the same space themselves. Right. So, Greg, for, for those of you, those who listen to us who don't know you, Greg is um, from Liverpool, but currently living in a paradisiacal place called Lake District. Uh, Greg is a typical successful businessman who also worked hard and motivated, as you also said, now yourself, to build wealth. But also life showed you a tough side in more than one occasion. And that uh, led uh, you to um, choices that are more and more related to rising your inner treasures rather than the outer uh, wealth. Mm -hmm. uh, Greg is the co-founder of Quantum Questions Program, a program of uh, personal growth and development. And uh, also you open a small retreat center in Lake District in UK. And uh, also, uh, Greg is an NLP trainer, very skilled in interpersonal skills. And um, we met, uh, I think it was four years ago in London in the Tantra Festival. Yes. So just uh, I wanted uh, our listeners to know you a little more. Greg, what is... Uh, What's the angle that you want to bring in this um, very important topic, which is uh, the motivational scheme? Yeah, the, the angle Ava, that I want to hopefully bring to others is a message of hope. I want to bring an angle that there is another way, that if people choose to, there is a, there's, an, there's an alternative option. Um, and even though we've been caught on the treadmill and caught in the trap in a way to show people that there is a way out and to really give people the hope and then encourage them, but maybe not motivate them to, um, to opt for the exit. Well, the, um, the first step, uh, as um, I also mentioned in the introduction, the first step in very optimistic outcome is to acknowledge the problem. As long as you don't see the problem and you don't acknowledge it as such, you don't look into it, then, uh, of course, you will just go on business as usual and uh, results as usual. And, of course, the problem with this kind of very profound flaws in some of the systems that we are using today is the fact that we don't correlate the side effects, very often quite disastrous side effects, with the action that generated them. So we just say, well, it can't be my diet uh, the cause of my illness. What is this having to do with my illness? I just got ill and then I take some pills. And that is the problem. That is the solution totally isolated with my lifestyle. Same with this. People say, well, I use some motivational schemes um, for success, and it worked, apparently. I got, mo I, I got out of my uh, losing mentality. I reshaped my 
uh, inner belief system using a very good motivational uh, scheme. And uh, I got what I wanted. Of course, it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that I'm a little depressed or I'm a little bit depleted of resources or I can't enjoy now that I got what apparently I wanted. So this is the, um, I would say the short span of our view is preventing us to see the correlation between the cause and effect. The cause is separated by its effect when the cause and effect are distanced from each other in time or in space. That's the reason why we need to enlarge the view. When we enlarge the view, one of the first effects, generally speaking, is suddenly causes and effects starts to meet. And of course, <laughs> the result is unpleasant because we start to realize, oh, so I was the cause for that unpleasant effect. Yeah, that's usually what happens. <laughs> So and, and with this, Ava, though, it appears that people still develop skills because I think there's a message that not everything's wasted. You know, so you mentioned about me, I develop communication skills, not all of them I'm now proud of. Um, I also develop solutions-based thinking. Um, some of the solutions didn't serve as well as I would now have liked. I also developed perseverance, but it was more of a, a now look at it as something that was unhealthy. Even though I was persevering, the, the challenge was I had this um, insatiable appetite or this unquenchable thirst. So I was wondering if you could say something about that for people. Yes, I, I want uh, to, to start by saying that um, this kind of um, desire to achieve something is uh, the aspiration, not, not aspiration, um, drive to um, build some skills. As you, you mentioned, you need to, to, if you work in sales or you work in uh, different domains where you interact with people, of course, you would like to have the skill of interacting with people in a very convincing, in a very persuasive uh, manner. I call it the temptation of the shortcut. There is always uh, and it's uh, on purpose used temptation of the shortcut. People would say, what's wrong with the shortcut? I mean, it's like, if I can find the shortcut, let me find the shortcut. And there is always an illusion of a shortcut. And from my experience, and I can even prove it uh, with uh, some, uh, some arguments that are very solidly based on practice, very often you end up, you try to go from A to B. And you see the straight line, which, as we know, mathematically is the shortest uh, distance between A to B, unless you vary the, the quality of the space. But that's another uh, form of mathematics. So in a linear space, the distance between A to B shortest is the straight line. But interestingly, because of your deformed view, you have the impression, wait a second, I think there is a shortcut here. So, and of course, th there are people who will give you a lot of argumentation. Look, there is this uh, alternative. But since you saw the straight line, you know that mathematically it's impossible to find a shorter distance between A and B than the straight line. But still, there is a temptation. You 
even if you know in theory that it is like that, you'll try. And you end up having a detour, very often extremely complicated detour, getting lost on the way. And initially, you gave up the straight line from A to B, which is actually the shortest way. You can't have the shortcut of the straight line between A to B. And yet, there is a temptation there. And that's one of the origins in our psyche of trying all these uh, motivational schemes. Because people say, but it will work a little bit. You can, you can give the appearance, for instance, of perseverance, as, as you mentioned there. If you put a very strong carrot in front of you and a stick to <laughs> remind you of the carrot if you forget, you look like a very perseverant donkey, really perseverant donkey, because it's like, look at him. He keeps going. Greg goes there. <laughs> uh, amazingly, wake up every morning, look at the carrot. He tries to ignore it. The stick comes from behind. Hey, move Greg out of bed and do your homework, whatever is that. In the and then you look like super perseverant. You can go 25 years. In such a scheme, from time to time, your boss or the boss of your boss will have skills of leadership reminding you, hey, Greg, this carrot, it can grow even bigger. And if not, the stick will be harsher. So in this way, you, you feel like your perseverance is uh, increasing. However, if you look at it, that's not perseverance. Perseverance is an autonomous state inside of us. It's a, a, the state which doesn't need motivation. Perseverance is enough to itself, as love is enough to itself, and you don't need to get motivated to love someone. You just love someone. Is the same with perseverance. Is the same with all qualities. You see, motivational schemes are replacing. They are surrogates for inborn quality. And if you start to use them closely, slowly, slowly, you atrophy qualities. Because it's like walking sticks. Imagine you use a walking stick, and after a while, your, your body starts to deform because you adapt to the crotches. And then you use another one, another one, and slowly, slowly, you, you lose your inborn qualities of walking straight and nice and athletic and beautiful for uh, all kinds of uh, devices or all kinds of... This is analogy. So, analogically, so yes, uh, it is like this very often that we are tempted by a shortcut, even though we have the straight line between you and perseverance. It's a straight line, A to B. You don't need motivation to go there. That's a detour. You just need to grow perseverance. How do you grow perseverance? Repeat the actions, the good actions that you started to do, and the perseverance grows with it, as well as other uh, inborn qualities. You just need to manifest them, and they grow. And there are also exercises, direct exercises to train, like uh, today, correctly practiced yoga can, uh, can enhance these inborn qualities that we have. But it's a direct action on it. You don't need to create inside the surrogate. You don't have willpower. 
no problem. I built a motivational scheme, which is practically a replacement, a simulation of willpower. From outside, you might look like, my goodness, you have such a willpower. Amazing. You keep doing that thing with such a will. Actually, you're, you want the carrot and you're afraid of the stick. That's not willpower. A person with willpower doesn't necessarily need the carrot, but still does the action. Does is not afraid of the stick, still moves out of willpower, out of a spontaneous impulse of willpower. So, so what, what's the best way then of educating people to be able to fire these natural inner qualities or abilities that you're referring to? And in order to move themselves off the carrot and the stick, the pain and the pleasure, the motivational schemes? It's a, it's a gradual process of understanding, first of all, the problem, seeing, feeling the difference between willpower, for instance, and a motivational scheme that simulates willpower. Without this awareness, it's very hard to replace them because it's you rely on them immediately you see even my explanation now my explanation about the motivation and the the disastrous effects of motivation is a motivation in a way you know people will try and i know from experience people come to me and want to be scared a little bit so they say can you tell more about it with other words can you Hit me with a stick more so I jump off the motivational scheme. I can't do that because if I do that, you keep going. You, you are motivating yourself now. All you can do is out of a spark of superior intuition, aspiration to better yourself. How is that born inside of you? It's already there. Make a little bit of peace, silence. Stay in a tranquil place. And then you will see emerging from inside all these uh, inborn aspirations. And inborn aspirations will trigger inside of you the aspiration for the skills that you need, like willpower, for instance, without the motivational scheme. Now, understanding also, oh, wait a second, I don't need to raise my willpower because otherwise it will be bad because already I built something there. No. I feel the, the energy of willpower and I want to have more willpower directly from inside of me is this aspiration and I just grow it. There are even exercises that can grow willpower. I will use them just as tools and then you, you grow willpower and you use it when it's needed, period. <laughs> it's very much like children play, reason for which... Uh, in the ancient time, they used to call this the play, the game, not the work. Because it's like a, it's exactly like children are playing, but they don't have a, they, you, are not, you cannot tell them, if you don't play, your limbs will grow weak uh, when you are big. Uh, your uh, lungs will be shrinking because uh, you didn't run when you were a child and so on. It is true, what I'm saying now, but we don't, we cannot tell to kids, please play because of this and that. No, kids are playing just because it comes from within. And interestingly, is in their best interest. Now, exactly the same happens with us 
we, we carry our best interests in ourselves. We don't need to have somebody outside of us who is thinking or feeling our best interest, which is, by the way, one of the reasons why we externalize power today and we create disastrous politics, uh, economics, and so on, because we have this strange belief that somebody else will have my best interest at heart, so to speak. Nobody can have the best interest in their heart better than you. It's inscribed in your heart. All you need is to listen to it a little deeper. And when you, once you start to, to get used with the whispers of the heart, so to speak, you start to realize, well, I have the aspiration to be better in willpower. Good. You, let's uh, <laughs> look in the book. Ah, there is an exercise here. I will do it. And you don't need to say, I'll do the exercise, otherwise I will rot in hell. <laughs> no, I just do the exercise because I aspire for this strong willpower in my life. So I can wake up in the morning, fulfill the daily program, whatever that aspiration was, just like that. You know, so in this way, um, you don't need to expect um, more complex system. People usually expect that. Actually, you remove from, the, from these very intricate schemes that we built, and you remain very simple. So, so Ava, I, just what's coming through to me is that what you're describing, I would say, didn't come easily to me. Um, I, I felt and have felt it, it was an incredible struggle. The thing that most blessed me, as I experienced it, was coming into contact with yourself, who's a very precise teacher, who's able to be specific. Because before that, I was reading books, but I was just getting more lost. They were sending me further outside. I was meeting other people who were trying to self-serve their own motivation. So I was bought into their motivational schemes. So it was a pivotal point for me to find a teacher who could give very specific instruction that allowed me, and I remember your words, you know, Greg, just take the steps that I encourage you to take and you will eventually get there. And, you know, some days I loathed the taking of the steps. Yeah, I kept taking them. And sure enough, things really began to emerge for me as I began to experience this connection with the inner whispers and just beginning. And I still feel I'm in the foothills whilst I'm saying it with a smile on my face. So what can we, how can we, if you like, just guide people or, or point to, because there seem to be so many teachings yet so many are getting people lost. Um, you, you mentioned some things, Greg, intuitively, you, you find it useful for yourself in, uh, in the way I was offering you, sharing with you my experiences and, and what I have learned myself and practiced. Uh, from my teacher, so it's a transmission, in fact. But you mentioned something that I consider to be essential. You see, we motivate people when we cannot explain to people. When we cannot show to people, we try to motivate them. But the superior stage of learning is not programming people, is deprogramming people by showing them how it works. You see, a magic trick, uh, magic, uh, this sleight of hand, but 
like it is presented as magic. A magic trick works as long as you don't know it. If, if somebody tells you how it works, even if the sleight of hand is fabulous, fabulous, it still doesn't work on you. I mean, you see it because you know where to look. And all it takes is 15, 20 seconds to tell you the trick. And then the, the most perfectly set up magic trick doesn't work on you anymore. But before that, thousands of people are watching mesmerized and they, they are wondering, how is this even possible? They, they can't, if uh, they didn't have be, uh, been so materialistic, they would believe in magic. What you see today, for instance, these uh, great uh, magicians on TV or live. Yeah, so what I'm saying, and this is a characteristic of what I, what I was sharing with you, not necessarily to pump in more motivation, which would have immediate results, but long-term disastrous effects. No, I, I took the long path of revealing the mechanisms because this was the path shown to me by my teacher. He never tried to shame me or to tell me, look, it will be very bad this or very good that. You, you try, you try, see for yourself. This is how it works. Because inborn in every each of us, and that you will you'll discover by yourself, is our best interest. A set of pure, God-given, I say, aspirations. I know, even if people don't believe in God, it is still something given <laughs> to us. A set of aspirations that can drive us to the highest forms of perfection. It's proven today. Nobody knows how is it born in us, this kind of impulse. But when it is lacking, we replace it with motivation. However, it's still there. It's, um, analogically speaking, is a child which was in a coma or something that we buried alive. That kind of aspiration. It's a sad, <laughs> sad image, uh, but it is like that. It's something that exists in us, an aspiration to perfection. As I said, you, you have the intuition of perfect love. And still, you introduce, even in relationships, motivations. I, I should love this person because it gives me this kind of pleasure or it gives me emotional security, financial security, some people. Anyway, all kind of, um, all kind of burdens on the shoulders of their beautiful, potentially beautiful relationship. Now, if you understand, I'm not talking mentally understand, understand exactly as when you learn biking and you catch the feeling of keeping your balance, that kind of understanding, catching it. But how do you catch it? Somebody would show it and somebody would explain the mechanisms, push the pedal one after the other, move your body like this, like this. So that's the first act, and then show it to you, and exercising, then suddenly you, you get it. And then the trick of motivation will not work on you. And on the other hand, you will see for yourself the results. This was the, the thing that um, you saw as different when we met. What I did to you and what I do usually is to show this is how it works. These are exercises that can validate your understanding. 
Now try it. Without uh, an hour of preaching, yes, but if people don't do that, you will die in hell. And uh, if you do that, heavens is for you and uh, 77 virgins. No, <laughs> I'm joking. Um, so, because I, I joked on purpose like this, because unfortunately, spirituality was turned into religion by motivation. Spirituality was a science of spirit. And then it became religion when it lost its objectivity and it started to be motivational sessions. Do this and you will, uh, and don't do that and you will do that. What? Carrot stick, carrot stick, all over the place. It used to be very precise. And this is what I find essential today. And it's hopeful because in this way, you will see for yourself. Yeah, look. That's the mechanism. When you see the mechanism, it's like deflating the magic suddenly. Ah, oh, no. Now I see the, the trick that is done to me. Then now replace it with your uh, observation, your experience, and so on. And then have a what I, ex again, experience is you start to see the mechanism, and then all of a sudden, though, what's revealed to you a corrupt attitudes in yourself, you know, so things like, you know, dishonesty, greed, laziness, that, that, that just seems to be. And, you know, I, I, what I observed then is a lot of people don't want to go there. Is, is, is there some encouragement we can give them to say, you know, the way to observe this is, and then the way to approach it is the. Yeah. You speak about this, uh, what I call the scary moment when you turn the light on in your room. All yeah. your life you lived in a crowded, totally filthy room with a small candle, so you never see the whole picture. And then somebody shows you where the switch for the light is. And of course, some people, full of enthusiasm, they go and turn on the light. They scream in the first moment and scare all the others who are about to turn on the light and say, whoa, what happened? I should not turn on the light because I don't want to be so scared. It's your room after all. It's your life. Room here is life, your own life. It is true in the darkness of our unconsciousness, we, we accumulate all kinds of strange habits, um, visions about ourselves which are not true belief systems also we did things that were not exactly as you said so yes it takes a little bit of courage courage which of course can be also grown once you know and once you get warned by somebody who did that before you and stay next to you and say listen you are about to turn on the light i'm warning you you will not like it. I've seen people laughing, saying, no, ah, trust me, I'm, <laughs> and they turn on the light, <clears throat> they, they freeze there, and, uh, and uh, eventually they sleep a, <clears throat> a strange sound out, and okay, it's fine. Now it's gone. The good news is, it's not a big deal. It's just scary in the beginning because of the completely unreasonable image we have before about ourselves, about our life, about uh, what place we occupy uh, in our 
the position in our life and people around us and so on. I met once uh, a person who went through such a process. Uh, he was uh, just like you, a very successful businessman and very large family around him and lots of friends. And um, he had a good life to his standards at the point. Then he turned on the light. <laughs> he was so scared. The first thing that scared him was that he was actually surrounded by people who didn't love him. They just stayed with him because he was so powerful and so influential and so rich. And he called me crying. Uh, he was taking refuge in a monastery, which he never entered or something. He was crying and said, can you come here? I need to talk to you. So like, well, what are you doing there? <laughs> Did you suddenly? <laughs> and he said, no, no, no. I came here because it was the only place these people will never come. And um, I, he was sitting there and starting to realize his life was empty. Of course, the good news is after a few weeks, he started to, to shift his perspective. And the old friends, yes, they left him because they said, now you are boring. Now you are not interesting anymore. Fine. But people who truly love him, people who truly care for him, people who truly care for his friendship, not for his, the friendship with his account and, or with his social position, they started to appear in his life. Now, this shift, this transition is always scary for the ego, for the old us. I would encourage people to not be so scared because the world is in a crisis. So it's the best time in this storm around to give a scream <laughs> when you get scared because now it's a storm outside there. So it's not so you cannot be embarrassed. I'm, I mean, I'm screaming in the middle of a quiet neighborhood. Relax. It's crazy out there. So you can scream of uh, being a little bit scared of, your, of yourself or what you find. It will be dishonest for me to say, no, don't worry. You will never find something difficult. It, no, it will, be, it will be just marketing, selling, it, and it doesn't uh, work anyway. You will find difficulties, but never these difficulties are more than something you put there and is not true. So it's always reduced to, to all this confrontation on your part is reduced to the decision. Do I like or love the illusion, the false me, the false life I have, or I love to be more real, more true to myself? And yeah, then follow your choice. Of course, if you still like uh, the illusion and you say, like in that movie, Matrix, ignorance is bliss. Put me back into Matrix. Yeah, that was your, <laughs> the, the last line that you have in the real world. Then you're back into the Matrix. You turn off the light and you live just like before. There's also a possibility. Nobody will stop you to do that. But if you choose to pursue your true nature, then it's, it's true. The road will give you awards, un un unbelievable awards, but it will also scare you sometimes when you will find out what you put there. 
Yeah, so in in my experience, again, very much like that, coming out of the matrix, and it seems to come in waves, not necessarily the biggest wave <laughs> first. So you can get some breaking over the bow when you least expect it. But is there anything, you know, in this time-based world, is there anything we can say to people about the time it would take to turn around? Because I think a lot of people are daunted when they maybe peer within and get this shock when they turn the light on for the first time. The, the moment, I know, I know this question, it comes reoccurring also from you. I, have, I remember it came a few times. Um, how long it will take? Like, yeah, yeah, okay, it, it's, uh, it, I, I feel, I feel you. <laughs> um, but uh, I hope it will not take uh, 20 years. <laughs> Honestly, it, the answer is it can take a lifetime because we constantly find more and more aspects about our being which we can improve and so on. It can take a lifetime, but it starts now and it's spectacular. Mm -hmm. So it's like... The time perspective, the scary perspective of time is only happening when you are not actually planning to start. Remember that. When you're not really planning to start, you sit there questioning how long time it will take. People who already are having, they found the aspiration within, you, you, don't, you try to tell them and they are already on the road. You speak alone there. It's like they left already. So I, I'm, I'm on the road. Yeah, sure. So um, the thing is, if, if you're scared that it might take a month, don't do it. If you're scared that it might take a day, still don't do it. It will be immediate when you turn on, when you, for instance, you start to see, uh, just to understand these motivational schemes. I've seen, I've seen people just after one lecture about this whole topic, they start to to freak out because they say, oh my goodness, but it means I, almost everything I do is like that. Yes, probably so, but there are solutions. Look into the solutions. I just explained few. There are actually more and systematic uh, uh, solutions. And uh, get started because the faster you start, the more you defeat this uh, mentality of time limitation that I might not have the time. Yeah. So it's, um, it's not something to, to feed too much this uh, time perspective for what shall I expect? One month or three months? Well, you should expect immediately to move. And then it never comes a challenge on our path bigger than what we are ready for. They're always, you know, adjusting according to our possibilities. Or let me put it the other way around, which sounds more reasonable. We're always adjusting our possibilities according to the challenges we meet on the path. Either way you put it, there is a match between challenge and real possibilities. Because there is also a difference between what we can really do and what we offer as an availability to life. Now, very often we off offer to life 10-15% maximum from our real availability now. The rest is kind of a comfortable reserve. 
the comfort zone. Well, let's see. I give you 10%. Let's see what I get first. And then I will commit 100%. Interestingly, when you commit 100% to life, to challenges, also to, to glorious moments of achievement and so on, you actually get also the no time for transformation. Transformation is instantly. Thank you, Ava. And so as I've learned or been learning not to use corrosive or corrupt motivational schemes, I've noticed an improvement in my health, in my vitality, in the quality of my sleep, and, and, and even the quality of the relationships around me. Is there anything that you'd like to say about this and the changes people might experience if, if they choose to take? Well, um, this being such a deeply embedded behavioral scheme, it affects everything. As you mentioned, you mentioned a few domains, health. Well, health is influenced very much by our lifestyle, so to speak, is influenced uh, by our habits, by culinary habits, uh, breathing habits, practically all that we're doing repeatedly every day is influencing the quality of our health. And of course, since all of these actions and, and things that we're doing today are having at the origin embedded in it such a simple scheme that is replacing our inborn qualities, of course, switching that off and giving room to the qualities to develop, yeah, deep transformation will happen. Same with relationships. But not only, I can tell you another perspective which many people are today so interested into, but there is apparently no solution in sight. The society, because we're talking about personal development today, a lot, personal development, personal development, which is right. I'm very happy. At least we reached to the conclusion we can't transform the world if we don't transform ourselves. So that's a good thing to do. But on the other hand, if we take the personal transformation in the right direction, like for instance, switching off motivational schemes, switching on aspirations that come from deep within, then interestingly, these inborn aspirations and inborn qualities, they are analogically speaking, like a universal alphabet of life. Result of which there are no possible divisions between people. I'm not talking between races. I'm talking about two people even. Two enemies, two people who, let's say, they don't agree with each other. They're it's almost impossible to have a real conflictual. You might have some disagreements and which are always completing your perspective, but not real conflictual situation that is destroying your liver. For instance, this kind of, you know, and imagine if you have a group of people in that situation, hating another group of people, you have the society that we see today all over the place. So the implications of switching between the motivational schemes to aspirational behavior are extraordinarily profound, not only at the personal level, but also at the societal level. The world will shift to a completely new perspective naturally if people, instead of pumping motivation, 
they will just discover aspirations. You know, very often I compare this motivational scheme. I think you heard me also saying this uh, with the invention of perfumes. French people invented perfumes by the higher uh, nobles of the society, by aristocrats of the society, because they didn't wash so well, because they couldn't. All these costumes, all these uh, wigs they were wearing, so they started to stink. And they, instead of finding a way to wash better, they covered the stink with perfumes. Exactly the same we do with perfume of personality. Motivation. A well-motivated person is a person who smells well, so to speak. But actually, if you get closer, stinks of ego. A well-motivated person stinks of ego. And it's a paradox, you know. That's the reason why you keep a little bit of distance <laughs> today. Because mm, you don't get too close to people. Why? They can hurt you, they say. Yes, it's true. Because very often, they have a surrogate of qualities. And when you get closer, it stinks. Analogically, of course. But it's a, again, it's a model to understand better this um, difference. So that's why, in a certain way, it is, uh, it's growing from within an entire world. So uh, another area of this that really fascinates me um, is is this area of sales, marketing, persuasion, and in, in the business community where either me acting as an individual or a, a team that's motivated by sales bonuses or wanting to pay expensive mortgages or pay for fast cars need to hit a certain result. So, you know, this individual motivation seems to find itself enmeshed in a, in a collective consensus. And, and, and it's something that I'd like to understand more about in terms of, you know, how we not only then are getting ourselves out of these motivational schemes and how aspiration works in business, but also then how to support the team and the collective business. Yeah, this, this I think will, uh, will require an entire episode, but just to get started now, and I invite everyone to follow up. So I invite you also to follow up in, a, in another episode of this talk. Just briefly now, towards the end, uh, this um, implication of these motivational schemes, as you said, in, in uh, people feeling more recognized or uh, to get motivation, these bonuses and all this, of course, apparently, they give more productivity, they, they give a little more incentive, uh, efficiency in work and so on, according to statistics. So there are results there. But the side effect is all these motivational schemes are an um, unhealthy way to run on battery until you use it all. And then, in, uh, for instance, in many corporations, they are talking about this expiration date of especially the people from the higher ranks of leadership. And it's even calculated how long on each level in the corporation the managers will last. After which, 
of course, this is a statistic, and statistics are merciless, <laughs> always. After which, simply, the phenomenon of burnout is taking its toll. And there is very little correlation, unfortunately, as I spoke in the beginning, cause and effect between the use of motivational schemes, the use even of these bonuses and on perks or and the burnout phenomenon. In reality, the burnout phenomena is a direct result of this kind of motivational scheme because in a certain way, you are using your system unconsciously on autopilot, burning the fuel insanely intensely until everything is uh, gone, so to speak. So you're emptied, you're depleted. So, of course, uh, if... if uh, leaders, corporations will understand this uh, simple truth that we're talking here about, they will shift their perspective. Of course, um, as I pointed out in the beginning, motivational schemes apparently give you an empowerment. And that's the, the very big problem. It's, um, it's this illusion, at least I hold something now. You ask me to Give, give up this, which carry my business well, to something that I don't even know if it will work. Well, it will take a while, the transition, but those brave uh, souls which are already making this transition, you are one of them, they are a proof that it works. They are a clear result of this shift. And then I'm sure they slowly, slowly, and faster and faster, actually, people will start to see the results of other people who did the shift and corporations will start to have more courage to say, well, why don't we move on and uh, work in this way? And the whole environment in their, inside of their working space will shift. One of the results that I guarantee that will be visible will be the disappearance of the burnout phenomenon. So you will have people who can last in extremely big pressure with high responsibility level, extremely well for years upon years upon years without the burnout, which of course, as you probably know, the burnout phenomena in itself became in this moment in the life of uh, different industries and corporations, one of the most expensive phenomena that they try to deal with. They spend hundreds of billions in, uh, from uh, retiring packages to all the attempts to increase the motivation to do something to prevent the burnout phenomena. The burnout phenomena is analogically like you try to quench your thirst by drinking salted water. As, as you know, it's, it doesn't help. So, but um, let's uh, wrap it up here, Greg. And I, um, I suggest we do a second part, which approach more this part of social side of motivational schemes. So we dedicate, we, we channelize the attention in that direction. But what you, would you say as a conclusion to take home from this talk we had? Well, it's, it's been so rich. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's one a, of the problems uh, with such uh, talks. 
Um, yeah, the, 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 the thing I take away is, I don't if it's my appetite or everyone's, it's to receive confirmation. You know, the, the steps that I'm taking, even though I'm experiencing the changes, sometimes it's just nice to be hearing that, yeah, look, we're going in the right direction, even though we're experiencing it, keep going. And then this thing called time, again, just to be able to, you know, there's no time like the present. So just continue to be kind to myself and to remind myself that if I'm taking the steps in the right direction and I'm experiencing it, I'm validating it for myself. Just keep taking the steps, Greg. It's, it's heading in the right direction. That's a very nice conclusion. Yes. Thank you, Greg. And thank you all of you for uh, joining me. Greg, I wait you for the next episode, which we will do together on the social side of uh, the question, what is wrong with my motivation? Or is there, is there anything wrong with my motivation? Thank you all for listening. And please uh, don't hesitate to write, to comment. And uh, don't forget, being alive is a continuous transformation. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Continuous Transformation Podcast. For more episodes, articles, and events, visit advaitananda.com.